Good Friday morning, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and thank you kindly for joining us here on Real Talk with Keith Smith on the I Love Seville Network. We're presented today by Keller Williams Alliance and Yes Realty Partners. Our good friend Keith Smith is in Sunday, sunny, sunny San Diego, California at a sales conference with his fabulous Better 7-8's Jonas Smith. He is back in the saddle on Monday. Today's program, however, is going to be absolutely dynamite. Neil Williamson is in the house, friend of the program, president for Enterprise Forum. Literally on his website, I'd say, I don't know, 10 to 12 times a week, minimum. Some days I'm checking multiple times to see if there's a fresh piece of, of content on the Free Enterprise Forum. He constantly is offering thought-provoking comments um, during some of the other shows we do and asking the best of questions. To say that Neil Williamson is a, a source or a guide or a, or a wealth of information is a huge understatement. The guy just has what we call on this set institutional memory on so many different silos of policy and content and, and progress and development. He's just a, a sage, if you may. Um, Judah Wickhauer, if you could go to the studio camera and then the two shot and, and welcome Neil Williamson, who's got his William & Mary Tribe shirt on. Um, I think it's great. That's a great color on you there. Was that the game day collar shirt for uh, you? No, no. The game day shirt probably said William Mary football, but, okay. but you have to know that uh, this is this and the other seven or eight William Mary shirts I have are probably the most expensive shirts in my closet um, as both of my children graduated from the College of William & Mary. College of William & Mary. A lot of people don't realize this. The academic standards to get into William & Mary more challenging than the University of Virginia. SATs, G, uh, GPA, etc. It's really the best of the best from an academic standpoint, William & Mary and Williamsburg. My friend, um, where do you want to begin? I'm going to follow your lead here. We got a lot to cover. We could dot the I's and cross the T's from the Donna Price interview from yesterday. Sure. Anything you want to cover, I'll follow your lead. I'm, I'm happy. I thought the interview yesterday with Donna Price was quite good. Um, I, I appreciate uh, Supervisor Price tends to um, frame things in a different way than some other people. Uh, I specifically appreciated her, her differential in decision making between one type of decision is right and wrong and the other is better and best. And I think that is a, um, an interesting way of breaking things down. Uh, although I did not hear her say, let's expand the development area. Uh, I did want to hear that, but I didn't hear that. Um, the reality is that under the projections that the from a county commission report, um, if the supervisors continue approving projects at the density that they've been approving them, not at the density they've been proposed, but at the density they've been approving them, we will run out of units to the tune of 1,000 to 3,000 units by the end of the planning horizon of AC44, which is 2044, which isn't that far away, No, that's not, not that far away. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by the fact that I've been lucky enough to be doing this work long enough that 2044 is as far away from us today as where I am today from where I started. Well said. Well said. And I also was impressed with how Donna characterized her decision making. She did make it clear that until the 5% developmental area is maximized, there's no reason to expand. It was almost identically the same messaging that Diantha McKeel said on this program. Um, so that Ann Malik, I think, follows that mindset. Uh, McKeel is, is going to be on the board. Um, she just got on, what was it, this past year? Two years ago. Two years ago. So she got two years left. 
Malik, we, we got to think, is a heavy favorite to win here. Um, I think Mike Pruitt gen- genuinely would expand the developmental area. Well, I, I think the... Um, I think T.J. Fadeley would consider it. Sooner or later, you have to recognize what happens if you don't expand the development area. What is the one thing that has to happen? What do you have to have in order to change the use on a property? If you... The one you, thing you have to have, regardless of zoning or anything else, what is the one thing you got to have? A willing property owner? Bing! You taught me that. There you go. Yeah. Well, the... Um, the, the, the reality is if they know that there's not going to be any expansion and it doesn't sound like there's going to be although they're gone should be um, they just sit and wait because until the numbers are right for them they're going to sit and wait and so you're not going to see it develop you're going to see it sit as a speculative investment whereas if you look at the Portland model which came up yesterday I believe um, they expand so that it always has enough capacity for 20 years. What we've shown in this report, not we, what the county showed in the, in the uh, report that was done by Kinley Horn was that you don't have enough for 20 years at the level you're approving. So I consider it um, malpractice to ignore the need to expand the development areas. Johnny Ornalis just shared the show. Thank you, J.O., for sharing the program. Viewers and listeners, please share the show. John Blair's watching on, on LinkedIn. We love when you watch the show, John. If you have any questions, let us know. Uh, I believe Supervisor Price watching the program literally as we speak right now. Well, it's important to recognize that it's less than 5% of the, of the land mass based upon it was close to 5%. We also we lost Biscuit Run. We lost uh, a lot of really good riparian buffers that are necessary but that reduces what development you can do. So take out all the parks and take out all the riparian buffers, take out all the highways. You have significantly less than 5% of your, your land mass dedicated to residential and commercial development. Meanwhile, you're expecting commercial development to take the pressure off of homeowners. Where are they going to go? There was a study called the Bowman Study about 10 years ago now that looked at 15 different sites for a large user. None of them ranked one on the five-point scale. Five was ready to go. One was zoned properly and could do it. And two would be, you know, pad ready all the way through. We aren't anywhere close to being ready. And I don't know that we want to be. And that's kind of challenging to me, that people don't want to see businesses come here because they're retired and they want to build a moat and keep everybody out, maybe build a fence around their development, whatever it is. <laughs> the proverbial gate around Almoral County. On top of uh, all the elements you've highlighted, the population expected to uptick for various factors, which we cover on the show, mainly those tied to the University of Virginia. So, you know, where do we go here? I mean, what's going to end up happening is the real estate's going to become more costly. It's going to be a pre- it's going to appreciate. The values are going to uptick. We know that homeowners are going to have to pick up the burden of the uh, yearly budget through taxes on their rooftops. Um, I guess it comes down to, as you say, elections matter. Michael Pruitt running unopposed. He straight up said in your your chair that he is not opposed to expanding the developmental area. T.J. Fadeley, when I interviewed him, he's being challenged by the incumbent B. Lepisto Kirtley. He said he would be open-minded to challenge to opening the uh, or expanding the developmental area. Still, as Supervisor Price said, you need four, four for this to happen. And if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, Supervisor McKeel's not going to do this. Supervisor Malik is probably going to win, and she's not going to do it. Where's... 
it, it just becomes a matter of elections. And so at the Planning Commission Tuesday night, which I, I'm sure you were tuned in because it's loads of fun, um, <laughs> somewhere around 9 o'clock they were talking about uh, the Karen Firehawk, uh, former chair of the Planning Commission, said, well, it's, it's uh, Planning 101. We're going to have leapfrog development if we approve sections of the expanding the development area. And I said, well, wait a minute. Planning 101 suggests leapfrog development is going to happen if you don't. Because where is the development going to go? Growth is coming. According to Weldon Cooper, not Neil Williamson, according to Weldon Cooper, growth is coming. Um, in the next week or two, I'll be producing the local government spending index that tracks the growth in population and school population and spending uh, across all the localities. Um, I'm in the process of crunching those numbers now, and it's fascinating to see some of the trends that we're seeing across the region. And growth will come. And it's sustainable if you prepare for it. The comprehensive plan is dictated by state code, must be updated every five years to show where you're going to accommodate the growth. Again, I think it's malpractice. If you see growth coming, you, you have reports that say you don't have enough, and then you're not approving uh, projects with densities that would support the, uh, the, what you want to do in your development areas. So I, I am, I'm very concerned about where we're headed. Um, I agree with you. I don't see four votes to expand the development area. Uh, but I do think that there are significant things that the supervisors have at their, their op opportunities to make the development areas more attractive and to get the heck out of the way to, to move things forward. I was encouraged by uh, Donna Price's comments with regard to an idea we floated with changing, allowing office in commercial, are allowing residential in office and commercial districts. She loved that idea. It, it, on the second and third, and second floor and above. Um, and, and she brought in a new idea that maybe we do incentives for greenfield building. Well, I think that's fabulous. Um, incentivize the flexibility to have additional housing. I, I see that as something as of a change, uh, not by on the part of Supervisor Price, but on the part of the county. I think that there is there are opportunities that could go piecemeal, whereby, say, you look at something, uh, a, a, a mall that is a larger mall, and I uh, was at the Architectural Review Board on Monday. I'm sure you were watching because it's riveting TV. Um, <laughs> and we were talking about the Home Depot that's coming, and they were talking about the manner in which it was going to look. And in thinking about it, I was like, okay, you've still got this other part of the mall to be developed, and you could do residential there, and that could feed... When I, went, uh, when I went down to South Carolina last year about this time, we, we took a look at Greenville. And I know you've been to Greenville. And Love one of Greenville. The, one of the things that Greenville made a conscious decision is downtowns don't thrive without residents. So they built residences around the downtown. I think that's something that uh, Albemarle County can really learn from. Katie Pearl, hello. Dr. Wolf, hello. Brent Lillard, hello. James Watson, Tracy Green, Dr. John of Pro Renata, Bellamy Brown, Laura Fawner, Johnny Taylor Sutton, hello. Heather Walker, Brittany Gray, Richard Fox, Michael Plecker, Valerie uh, Young, hello. Welcome to the show. This is a question from Grayson. Before I get to Grayson's question, um, John Blair says you're dropping knowledge bombs right now. Mark Lickman, Kerry Rock, hello. This is from Grayson. If the developmental area is expanded, where would the growth first happen, Neil? I have, I, there are many concerns to uh -huh. be con considered. Uh -huh. Rather than, the last time we did a development area was the Carter administration. 
Um, you remember that, right, Jerry? <laughs> yeah, a little bit before my time. Yeah. I've read about the Carter administration. Yeah. I was sitting in those gas lines, <laughs> uneven gas lines. I'm an old guy. Um, the um, uh, Judy, don't laugh. You weren't there either. Um, the uh, the idea then was to focus on watershed and protecting the watershed. And so we built the development areas based on protecting the watershed. That's good, but we've also learned a lot about watershed protection and ways we can do that. The question now becomes, what natural areas do you want to preserve? And let's look at the highest value. Lonnie Murray brought this up. Look at the highest value of, of uh, natural areas that you really want to preserve because of uh, you, what Lonnie calls biodiversity. Um, and so the, those have been identified. So let's look at those and stay away from those. Let's go places where there's less biodiversity that we can provide services. I still like the lasagna model that I stole from Loudoun County, uh, which the lasagna model provides an urban area, a suburban area, a ring of transition, and then rural area. In the suburban and transitional areas, perhaps you allow well and septic. If you do that, then you're going to need a larger lot, but you're not going to need a 21-acre lot that's going to be required in the rural area. Large lot zoning cuts up habitat. Smaller lots, if you, especially if you do it in a cluster, really does work. We've seen it work across the Commonwealth and across the country. So I think those are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. This is a great question. Um, Leslie, I appreciate your question here on the program. Is it Leslie Baldridge? Um, she says this. If the developmental area is expanded. It's going to only impact the pockets of our community that are already throttled from an infrastructure standpoint she throws a little zing at me here. We know the development is going to happen to Jerry's stomping grounds in Keswick and around gated communities. Oh, I get so much shade because of the gated community. Um, what do you make of uh, Leslie's comment about the development expansion and the additional density, if it does happen, only coming to areas that are already at capacity when it comes to infrastructure? Your thoughts on that? First off, Leslie, thank you for the gated community comment. I love that stuff. Now, the... Um, that was a low blow. <laughs> if the shoe fits. Um, the uh, idea of if you, if you expand it, it throttles it. I actually think if you don't expand it, it throttles it. What do you mean by that? What has happened is the county has failed. Albemarle County promised. I was there at DISC 2, which was son of DISC, the Development Initiatives Steering Committee, which was son of LERC, which was the Land Use Recommendation Committee or something thereof. Anyway, there have been so many acronyms, it's not even funny. But the county promised concurrency of infrastructure. So there will be things that the development has to add. When you look at a development that goes in, they put all the pipes in the ground, they put all of the, all the sewage, sewer pipes in the ground, and they build it out, and they turn it over to Albemarle County Service Authority. Now, there's a thing that they do, that developers do, which is upsize it beyond the needs of the community. So let's say I'm supposed to put in a 12-inch sewer pipe, and the community wants to have a 20-inch sewer pipe there. The differential in cost, Albemarle County Sewer Authority pays for so that they don't have to install it, and it's a very good thing because the community increases their infrastructure at a lower cost because all they're paying is the differential, not the installation cost. So um, I think it's important to recognize the county has not kept up with infrastructure. Some of that is because of state code, and some of that is because, well, elections matter. Um, 
the state code doesn't allow you to build a school over the size of what you already have proven you need. Thus, kids must learn in trailers for a generation before you expand to school. That's pig-headed, and at the same time, I understand the theory behind it. Um, the theory behind it is you've got to have the need. If you build it and they do not come, then you've wasted public funds. So I understand where it came from. I just think it, it hurts the kids. A lot of comments coming in here. First, Bill wants to know during the gas lines of the Carter administration, did you switch plates with your friends for odd even gas lines? I did not. But remember, I was driving at the time. Actually, I wasn't driving at the time. I was riding in, yes, the banana boat, which I've written about. 1976 Ford Pinto station wagon, my first car. Ford oh, Pinto was, station wagon. That was I was I was the girls were loving me. <laughs> Neil is, and he, I had vinyl seats and everything. He, he Bill McChesney follows. Charlottesville's commercial activity is struggling, especially when you have knuckleheads like the Champion Group failure and the county Seminole Square, Fashion Square, Almoral Square are all examples of under-occupied business spaces. I would imagine this comment is done in regards to your um, fantastic idea of converting commercial into potentially residential. Donna undoubtedly embraced that idea, especially as it pertained to new construction. Um, she said with existing construction, they're going to have to figure out a way to incentivize the property owners with new construction. Pretty straightforward way you could do that. Well, I'm, I'm suggesting don't incentivize. You don't have to incentivize. Just get out of the way. Tell them they can do it. I'm, I'm telling you, well, you could incentivize it. That's great. That's going to take a lot longer. Just change the rules. Make it so you can do it. That will likely free up 100 or 200 units over the course of two years. Now, to Mr. McChenzie's comment uh, with regard to um, commercial entities that fail, I, I wrote a piece probably two years ago uh, called Creative Destruction and the idea of um, the mall completely changing. Uh, I think it was Charming Charlie's went, and that was just enough to really – flipped my boat but I, I that and the champion failure i i really hurt for the employees involved Same. that being said business people are optimists by design and some businesses if they don't make it fail some failure is part of success oh for sure you have to try and so i i don't look at I, I look at the Fashion Square Mall as an incredible opportunity. The world changed. Um, the kids aren't hanging out at the mall anymore, believe it or not. Um, the, um, the, what I, the, the renderings I saw for the Home Depot, which, my goodness, has this locality needed a Home Depot for a while, um, are beautiful. I mean, it, it's, it's gorgeous. It's about 700 feet. It's the old Sears building. And so that puts it about 700 feet off of US-29. So the ARB isn't as concerned. They're more concerned with the views from Rio Road, which is that corner. Um, and remembering Albemarle County took a portion of that for their emergency services area to do some, some work, a portion of Fashion Square long-term lease with an option to continue. Um, but there'll be additional development. Very few people here have eaten at the um, Albemarle County Lone Star Steakhouse. Well, there was supposed to be a steakhouse on that front parcel where the Christmas trees go every year. Uh, it never happened because, well, the the uh, Great Separate Interchange won, but in addition, there were um, other headwinds at the time. I think that was about 2009, 2010 when that was being looked at. Um, I, I think that business is all about 
pushing the envelope, trying to answer consumer needs, and if you fail, that doesn't necessarily mean no. In the world of, words of uh, one of my first bosses, John Adams, who's a vice president of sales, he says, well, the customer has two answers. Yes, then shut up and get take the order, or no, which is not now, and find out why. Yeah, 100% right, 100% right. James Watson, I'll get to your comment here. Before we do, let's get to the follow-up comment from Leslie, and she says, we know that the development is just going to happen along Route 29 if the development area is expanded. It's not going to happen, like I mentioned, in the Keswick area, and it's likely not going to happen in Ivy or in Crozet. Crozet. Crozet's at capacity, she says. How can we trust the county to do this correctly when we can't even get the kids to and from our schools um, when buses and routes. He, and she finally, she says, this seems to be a project that is, while needed, very concerning for a lot of us. Oh, it's absolutely concerning. Um, not doing it's concerning, too. And the results of not doing it, there are two lenses that Albemarle County is supposedly examining this AC44 plan with. Equity and climate change. A lack of expansion of the development areas doesn't meet either of those. It will make things more expensive, it'll make your community more homogenous, um, and it will make more people live in Green, Fluvanna, Louisa, and Waynesboro. That's going to impact, negatively impact, uh, greenhouse gases, traffic, and other impacts. So either you want to do this or you don't. And if you don't, that's fine. You become Santa Barbara. Uh, for uh, newlyweds and nearly deads, and that's fine. That's who you want to be, that's fine. But make that decision and don't pretend that you care about climate change or equity. The irony with Albemarle prioritizing climate change is if it figured out the bus driver shortage issue, it would get less parent cars off the roads driving to and from schools and have the kids on one bus as opposed to many different cars going to and from schools. It's a topic for a different day. James Watson jumps in the mix. He says, Neil, any chance we will see mixers use development directly south of town? There really is a lot of undeveloped land just south of Fontaine along 29 South. I understand there's a lot of steep slopes there, but it's otherwise undeveloped. I think that's one area that's well worth looking at, but the steep slopes probably should be protected because we see what happens on steep slopes. Anyone can engineer anything. But steep slopes are something that the county has uh, put a value on, and so I think that they will examine that. Uh, I know of, of several landowners in the South 20 area that would be interested in development, um, but I also know some several large landowners that would be interested in stopping such development. Same is true if you really want to see what will happen in those areas, and really to Leslie's point, examine what happened with Breezy Hill. Um, uh, uh, I have intimate knowledge on that one. I, I, I believe you do. Yeah, that, yeah. Maybe, maybe you could use the key to open the gate and let us know what's going there, on in the community. Breezy Hill was a southern development um, project right outside Glenmore, and the neighborhood Glenmore really rallied against this project. Um, and you had folks who made their professional living in, in, in policy and lobbying and um, legal attorney work. Uh, made their professional living in public speaking, made their public uh, their professional living in negotiating contracts, literally all pulling their resources at one table at the club, 
brainstorming a plan of attack against this project. And in the grand scheme of things, I would say, and I'm curious of your take on this, we haven't really said winners and losers, I would say they got a, got a win here because they dramatically shrunk the size of the development, which I think was the game plan. So let's see. Originally, I think that project, and again, we don't take positions on projects, mm-hmm. so we weren't for or against the project. Um, the idea uh, was to have, I think, four units an acre, um, in the development area where you're supposed to have development. Um, the proposal that was approved was one unit an acre. Um, I would say that that's a waste of development area land, but that's not about this project. That's about a one unit an acre density in your development area where you say you want development. Well said. But, but elections matter, and people who show up matter, and the Glenmore community showed up. Showed up big time. Olivia Branch, hello. Thank you for watching the program. we got a lot of the neighborhood watching right now. Liza Borshis, hello. Dr. Downey, hello. Bob Yarborough in Redfields. Kevin Yancey, Waynesboro. Jamie Turner, Culpepper. Roger Voisinet, who I think is now in Canada watching the program. I saw him getting some Canadian dollars from, uh, from our bank, Truist Bank, a bank we both um, visit. Um, I'll throw what's happening to Chris Henry on Preston Avenue with Dairy Central, Dairy Market, Phase 3 development. He's trying to take asphalt parking lots and buildings that are quite antiquated, the Twice as Nice building, the Fifth Season Brewing building, um, the Preston Suns laundromat. He owns this, and he's trying to convert it into 400 apartments, which would yield housing for 1.5 people per apartment, so 600 people. Uh, he's going to include some affordability into that project as well. And really is like, look, I'm converting buildings that are kind of falling down and asphalt parking lots into housing for Charlottesvillians and people who want them. I thought that's what the community wanted. If you're a developer and you're seeing what's happening to Chris and his firm, why would you want to jump into this ecosystem and, and do more housing? Well, uh, regardless, again, not taking a position on projects, but regardless of your... Um position on the project or on any project, you, you, you have to recognize, and I say this about the Dewberry Hotel. Property owners have rights. Property owners have rights, and, and, and they doggone should. They've paid for those things, and they're paying taxes on those things, and there's, they have rights. Now, residents have rights, too, and property owners and residents should work together on plans, and I think that's where they are, and they're moving in that direction. Um, I was uh, I was looking at what happened over Cherry Avenue uh, on Tuesday, and the community certainly had significant input on how that project moved forward. Um, and, and I don't have a position on that project either, but I have walked that with the Planning Commission four years ago. Sean Tubbs was with us, and it was a walking meeting. It was way cool. Um, and then there was one part of Cherry Avenue that uh, the, the city owned that they were going to put a building on. I said, but they would never allow a private entity to put a building on this slope, but since it's a city, they'll find a way to make it happen. I, I do believe that property owners have a responsibility to work with communities, but communities do not have the right to demand certain things of property owners beyond their control or beyond the market. I 1,000% agree with that. I 1,000%. Here's a follow-up from Thomas. Um, Thomas has said is development in the county 
as difficult as development has been in the city. He said, I wrote, I read what Jerry wrote when it came to those projects on High Street and Chris's project and the other locations. Is this the same thing that's happening in Albemarle as well? I would suggest that Albemarle County and the city have actually gotten better than they were. That being said, um, you know, Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, how'd you like to play? Um, the, uh, the idea, if you look to... I'm going to steal that. That was good. <laughs> if you look to folks in Greene County, um, where you've got a 90-day special use permit process, um, that's much more business-friendly than a 180-day uh, special use permit, and that's after you've done a rezoning that takes two and a half years. Everyone, well, not everyone, carrying costs make up a good portion of the costs of doing development. Whether you like development or you don't like development, you can understand the math. If I buy this parcel and then have to go through the process, there's a cost to that, not to mention the attorney's fees, the architect's fees, the engineering fees. There are a lot of costs with putting a project together. Now, you want to put it together right, and you want to present it accurately, but what level of detail at what point is always the question. Because you may get to the site plan and all of a sudden you find something in the engineering that you have to go back and change something. Well, I understand the neighborhood doesn't like that something changes at the site plan, but at the same point, you have to do it in degrees if you really want to get the project done. Um, Michael Payne made, and you know, I appreciate Michael Payne. Our politics are very different, my politics and his politics, but Michael does a good job of... Um, being transparent with um, policy decisions, oftentimes offering commentary on his Facebook page in long-form fashion. He talked about um, the Cherry Avenue project on the old IGA location, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and he highlighted how um, Keith Woodard's son, Anthony, and Woodard Properties in general work side-by-side -side with the Fifefield Neighborhood Association with the birth or the vision of this project. And the Fifefield Neighborhood Association said to the Woodard Properties, Keith and Anthony's firm, that we need affordable housing, we need some kind of grocery, and they're trying to build that. Um, and Michael then kind of did this allusion to Chris's project on Preston and how the Woodards got community input and they said, what do you want us to build? And then he alluded to Chris's project on Preston and he said, this is kind of different what's happening over here. And Michael championed the approach that the Woodards took on Cherry as maybe being a model for development moving forward. Here's the question I have for you. With Chris's project on Preston Avenue, Dairy Market Phase 3, he can just wait until this upzoning is approved and do it by right. Why even get involved now? And I'm just... Topic for a conversation. Why even bring this to folks' attention now instead of just waiting till the end of this year or early next year to have the buy-right approval and just do it anyway? Well, I, I, I think that um, first and foremost, I think it's important to recognize um, I was not at that meeting, uh -huh. that, but I have seen the Twitter feed of it and seen the video. Um, You're talking the one on uh, Monday? Yes. The, when, when it came to... Uh, a hundred people or so. No, no, no. The the community meeting okay. the week prior at the church. At the church. Okay. Um, and, and I take a lot from body language. Uh huh. And what I saw, uh, 
was first off, Chris Henry was there. Yeah. There's many times you have these meetings, the principal's not there. Right. Um, and he looked to me, and others could have a different opinion, that he was listening. And so I'm when you choose to engage the community and how you choose to engage the community is up to the applicant. Um, there, are, I'm sure there are benefits to whatever. It's kind of like playing chess when you do that. But you can't answer some questions if you don't have some answers. And you can't make changes to a plan if you don't have a plan. So sitting down with a blank slate that you don't know if it'll pencil out or not is a longer process than, okay, here's what I could do. How can I make this better? Again, it's the Donna Price thing, better and best. So it, it is, I think there are benefits to both. Uh, I think the long trod that um, Habitat has gone through uh, with their project, working with residents to build a, a community that the, they want. You're talking Southwood? Southwood has been how long in development? A long time. And Years. I, and we are now thrilled to be seeing these things. And I'm, I'm, it is a national model. It is incredible. But that being said, there were mistakes along the way. Uh, and Dan Roseswag is one of the first ones to admit it. It's part of his presentation. Yeah. It's like, you know, they didn't want to have a basketball court. They wanted a square place where they could kick the soccer ball, uh -huh. and which Dan, who used to be with soccer, would oh, yeah. appreciate. Love I mean, soccer. The idea that the residents drive the process is great. It is a more intensive process and provides additional carrying costs, but each method of resident engagement has pluses and minuses. I don't believe that having a community meeting within the gates of Glenmore was going to change the position of the Glenmore residents regarding development at that field that used to be in front of their uh, development that they felt like they had ownership of that was actually owned by somebody else. I think you're 100% right. I think you're right. If, the, if a community meeting was held in the neighborhood, the neighborhood would still have responded the same way. Um, how can we champion housing in this market? And so many of us do. Yet once that, hap that housing happens next to us, we're vehemently opposed to it. Um, we're seeing that on High Street, on Stribbling, on 10th and Page, in Keswick. We're seeing that Forest Lakes with the apartment complex that was RST. coming there. RST. We're seeing that on Ivy Road with the, the college housing developer that's got that plot of land kind of across from St. Anne's Belfield and, and across it, from Bel Air. And here's a plug. Do the uh, survey, VDOT survey for Ivy Road. Um, it closes on the 18th. Okay. Everywhere we're seeing opposition. Chris Fairchild, welcome to the program. He's a supervisor in Fluvanna. Curious to your take on some of this stuff, Chris. And I want to relay Chris's um, stat that he highlighted last week on the show while I was gone. He said that for every dollar that you get in residential tax revenue tied to housing, it costs a dollar and 18 cents from an infrastructure standpoint. So he makes the comment that housing is not this um, tax, incremental tax revenue driver that a lot of us like to make it out to be. So that's kind of a lot to unpack for you there. NIMBYs everywhere. The same folks that are saying, give us housing, are the first ones to say, not next to us. And then Fairchild's comment, the dollar and dollar and 18 cents. Let's start with Chris's comment, which I've heard repeated a number of times. And um, that may be correct for um, direct uh, dollars. So the direct property tax dollars. 
Um, I think in Fluvanna there are five people who control how many tax dollars come from any given house. And I think Chris is one of those five people. Yes. So if you want to fix that, you increase the tax rate. That's one way to fix it. You will get a dollar for a dollar. Now, the other reason that you're not seeing Fluvanna buckle under um, bankruptcy is because of the indirect benefits. So if you look at uh, the retail report that Free Enterprise has put out over the past many years, um, you'll see sales tax revenue uh, in the millions of dollars. Where does that sales tax revenue come from? Sales tax revenue in the millions of dollars. Tell us. Well, the sales tax comes from, it's 1% of the sales tax that's collected in the locality. Uh Well, who buys things in the locality? That would be the residents. Mm -hmm. So you've got to factor those purchases Uh in addition to the property taxes being paid. How about the personal property taxes? They've got a two-car garage. They've got two cars. They're paying $400, $800, whatever it is. You know, those are additional parts of it. How about the differential between townhomes and apartments and single family? Townhomes produce 1.1 child per for education as opposed to single family producing 1.6. Well, that 0.4 changes the dynamic for how much tax dollars you're putting in. There's a lot more nuance to it than 18 cents differential. That delta isn't real. Mm -hmm. Okay, and how about the take on... uh I want housing, just not next to me. Um, I hear that all the time, mm-hmm. and it is. Um, Were you demoralized when you when you when you heard from this is this is the the take from the neighborhood tenth and page? If you build this housing next to us, it's going to raise our taxes and gentrify us out of this community. But this, the, but a lot of the, a lot of the, and it's not just folks at tenth and page. It's folks on High Street. It's folks on Jefferson Park Avenue by Stribling. It's folks on downtown where Oliver was trying to do these projects. It's the same folks that are saying we need more housing supply because if we get more supply, prices could stabilize and values could stabilize, which creates affordability. And everything relates to everything. So if the city were to choose to purchase the land at High Street, that will be purchased using taxpayer dollars. Taxpayer dollars. And that would mean that you increase the tax burden or at least the cost burden that somehow has to get paid. And I think that's where we're heading, where the city's going to end up purchasing this. If it, if it does, great. It, it's a great idea for a park. I, I mean, that's fine. Um, again, property owners have rights. You want to own the property? Buy the property. Yeah. You want to control what happens? Buy it. And this is something we've been saying for 20 years. Uh, we loved it when um, Monticello looked over at Browns Mountain, where there used to be law, um, law student housing, really, is what it was. Um, and they, it became available, and they bought it. They said, we've protected Mount Alto, which they changed the name from Browns Mountain. Because, you know, we're out tomorrow. We do things differently. Uh, <laughs> we're as unique as everybody else. Um, but the, the, the idea was they wanted, to, they, did, they wanted to control the view shed. This ties back to the idea, I don't want to look at this solar farm. Um, well, you don't want to buy it. You can control the destiny. Now, I don't have the money to buy it. Okay, well, that's a different issue. And so when I I look at the community not wanting increased housing, I don't understand why not. It increases, increased housing will increase the diversity if it's diverse housing. And what I hear and what I see in the market, frankly, is 68, 70 percent 
single-family residential being built across all the localities and, and being the type of housing people prefer. And then I see affordable housing being the way you get in on the ladder, which is attached product, maybe a condo somewhere. Somebody I know did that. I did that. And uh, you, you get a couple I of your that. buddies to climb a rope ladder to live in the attic, um, <laughs> whatever it takes. But you, you make your way and you get yourself on the first rung of the housing ladder. And then you either profit out or you gener- turn that into an income-generating property, and then you keep moving forward. Um, gentrification is a real problem, but so is generational welfare. Well said. Very well said. Um, Woody, Fincham and, Woody Fincham says, preach, Neil Williamson, preach. <laughs> he is uh, loving what you're saying right now. Um, I promise, Spencer, that I'm going to get to um, Donna's comments on the defense sector, $1.2 billion impact. Donna, very straightforward, said, I think that's a, a, a low number. I, I think I, it's way higher. I, I firmly believe that it's higher. Yeah. Um, but I also believe uh, the study was done in February by uh, Terry Rafan from uh, Weldon Cooper. And I've known Terry for about a dozen years. Great guy. Really thorough economist. And um, he wouldn't put anything in there that could be shaded. So I think you're looking at a minimum number, not a maximum number. Yeah, yeah. I think that's well said. Matthew says this. If we do expand the development area, it's just going to lead to more um, housing, more traffic, and more congestion from Albemarle County, from the mall, all the way to the Greene County line. It's clear that's where Albemarle County wants the development to happen. They've purchased Rivanna Station, and that's where people are traveling. You buy that. Every morning when I drive down 29. It's the route he takes. Every day. That's the route he absolutely takes. Um, defense sector follow up on this for you clear cut to the economic impact the defense sector are they in the clear cut two slot for you for me i i think so yeah because you're curious you've you've made some comments about like tourism tourism used to be thought of as number two i firmly believe that uh tourism is more likely at this point in the three spot okay is that Um, a reflection of the COVID impacts i think it's a reflection of the COVID impacts and a reflection of additional jobs being moved to Ravana Station, uh, remembering that it's a station, not a base. Right. And there are oftentimes those jobs are not counted appropriately because they're really associated with Fort Belvoir, so they get counted in the Belvoir count even though they're a resident here. This comment's come in um, via Facebook here. Um, please ask Neil his take on the University of Virginia. Travis, I'm going to get to your comment here as well and what UVA should be doing with all this when it comes to housing. Well, I want to take this opportunity to say that Jim Ryan has changed the entire world of affordable housing as it associates with the University of Virginia. Um, Could they do more? Sure. Anybody could do more, but they're doing something. They have three projects. They have two of them are out to bid now, if I'm remembering right. And I think they've been awarded to uh, Piedmont uh, PHA, I think, at least one, but maybe both of them were awarded that way. There's a third project that's up at North Fork that's going to require rezoning and some other things, Um, but they are in the game. And under previous administrations, not throwing shade at any one previous president, but all the previous administrations were not at the table. And as Keith Smith says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So... I think that's really a, uh, a testimony to what 
Jim Ryan sees as the count in town relationship. Well said. Well said. Um, Travis Hackworth in Danville would be interested interested to know what Neil thinks about instances where a developer wants to do a development by right and a local commissioner actively works with residents to stall and or kill a development that can be done by right in theory. Your thoughts on that? When you become a supervisor or a commissioner, you do not give up your right to be a citizen. So if you are objective and clear, I would hope that any commissioner who would do such a thing would be clear if anything came before the commission in their disclosures. And I've seen this happen, that, that it, it comes through that way. So I, I think that it is a... I, I don't ever want to take someone's right to organize or to speak out away from them. That being said, disclose any of that and if, you, if they are provided. Whether they should oppose by right development, that's a sh different question. Um, if it's by right, then they have the legal right. Is there another approval they need? Perhaps a site plan, perhaps a, uh, a, a traffic thing. There, there might be a something that has to be done, a special exception to allow something on a steep slope. Those would be under the purview of the Planning Commission. And in my worldview, if you've taken an active position opposing it, you should disclose and disqualify yourself from voting on such a approval if it came before the board. Logan, and has, have you seen that done? I have. By whom? Um, many folks, right now we have a lot of, we have two folks on the Planning Commission um, that are employed by the university. And when a project that is associated with the university comes forward, they disclose and they actually leave the room while it's being discussed. Has, has uh, Pinkston done that with any city council? Because he's employed by UVA, right? Project he, manager? He is, but I don't think anything has come before the city okay. in the approval stage that would require that. I don't recall that happening. Okay, okay. Um, comments are coming in here. We're going to continue to get to as many of these as possible. Ann Clark Ramey, thank you for joining us. Logan Wells Clalo, thank you for joining us. John Neal, the uh, realtor and commercial broker watching the show. Jesse Rutherford, hello. Thank you for joining us on the program. Carrie Griggs, Mayor Snook, hello. Tom Stargell, hello. Welcome to the show. Jason Howard, hello. Um, this question for you. Is, uh, is a good one from LinkedIn. Does Neil actually think the AC44 is going to have an impact that's tangible that we will see in the relatively near future? No. Yeah. Is, it just, is it just window dressing? AC44 is a comprehensive plan. Explaining the difference between comprehensive plans and zoning is easy for me. Okay. Because you know I like my pop culture references. So, uh, have you seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, I love Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. So, comprehensive plan is like parlay. Okay. It's kind of a guide, <laughs> uh, whereby zoning is law. Okay. So, if you think of parlay uh -huh. for the comprehensive plan, it's however the board chooses to read the comprehensive plan at the time that it comes forward to an approval. Okay. The approval is zoning. Ken, I'll follow up with a personal question, me personally. Zoning is approval. Zoning, zoning is law, you yes. just said. Zoning yes. is law. So upzoning, we know it's about to be a reality. If Chris just waits for upzoning to be a reality with phase three dairy market, is he guaranteed approval of everything he wants to do there? 
I don't know enough about the proposal okay. to say that that's absolutely the case and how that zoning, which, by the way, was to be released three weeks ago, and now I think it's going to be another week of delay. Uh-huh. Um, no one knows what that will do because whatever's released is likely going to change before it gets enacted. Uh, we've heard that from uh, the mayor. We've heard it from many people who have been around the Planning Commission. So what they put forward may not be what happens. But if I were a developer looking to do a project, when the code is released, which would be law, could be law, I would examine what I was doing as compared to that and what could be done under the zoning code by right versus what I'm trying to do and see if it would pencil out if I did it by right because it probably wouldn't allow certain things. And, and so the long answer is no, it likely won't allow him to do everything he wants or that proposal provides. Um, yes, it allow him to do more than he could do today at by right. That's what I mean. Yes. It would allow him more to do, he could do more once this is approved than what he can do right now. Based on all the discussions that I've been a part of, yes. So what would be the influence a neighborhood would have once the upzoning is approved in its full capacity, whatever that capacity is? Which is why neighborhoods should be engaged now. Okay. This is the hardest part. Okay. Getting engaged and trying to understand zoning code and how a setback that may or may not include the trees um, impacts your livelihood because it could happen next to you because it's by right they can go forward so it's it's a really wonky thing but this is the time for the neighborhoods to be engaged with the planning commission they're going to be coming forward in the next hundred days making their recommendation and that is important to be engaged now that's where neighborhoods will make the difference. Okay. The man's giving you a heads up here. Viewers and listeners, let us know if you have a comment. Put them in the feed here. What else should, should we be uh, following that but, should be on our radar? Well, I, I think there, there was a really policy wonky thing that came forward two or three meetings ago in Almar County. So there's some land that's been dedicated to the county um, in the Brookhill development. If you imagine drive turning right on Polo Grounds Road and then on the right side there is some land and um, the reality is that land is in what's called the spillway which means when the dam breaks you're swimming um, but the, uh, the land's been dedicated and the county is doing a um, feasibility study of having a northern transfer station there or a convenience center there just like they put in in Esmont um, the, uh, that was interesting and I thought made sense and it was a good use. But in that feasibility study, they included the other portion of the land and they were talking about putting in, um, moving the bus depot that's currently at Lambs Lane where they do all the maintenance repair and the rest for the buses on that property. And I sat there scratching my head and I think I put it out on Twitter. Would they allow a public bus depot to locate right next to the river? Really? Are they, is anybody going to ask this question? Nobody asked up on the board. I was like, you people scream when we talk about this kind of stuff for the private sector. And the convenience center is not the issue in this. It was pretty well distant and the rest. But I was like, what mitigation are you going to do for those impacts? That is a really buried in the weeds thing that's going on. Uh-huh. And it might get lost in translation as that particular project moves forward. 
Um, Lonnie Murray, welcome to the program. We love when you watch the show, Lonnie. If you have any comments, let us know. Jason Howard on Rio Road. Juan Sarmiento, hello. Nikki Chambliss, Johnny Garver, hello. Albert Graves, hello. Here's a good one right here, um, and thank you for asking this question. Mark Burke, he says, Jerry asked Neil the question you asked Donna Price yesterday about term limits. We are also concerned about Ann Malik with 20 straight, 20 straight years on the board if she wins in November. Term limits for supervisors and counselors, Neil Williamson. Um, well, first off, welcome. I, I'm glad to, to hear Lonnie Redcard Murray is on the board uh, watching. Uh, at the, we love you, Lonnie. At the Planning Commission meeting, he is one of those people that you really want to pay attention to what he has to say. Um, he brings forward great ideas that I often don't agree with, but they're great ideas nonetheless, and uh, they prompt conversation, and it's, it's helpful. Um, with regard to term limits, a hundred years ago, I did some work in the political world uh, looking at federal term limits. Um, and what I found um, working for this particular, that particular client was that everybody wanted term limits for the bums, throw the bums out, except their bum. So um, what I take from that is you have the opportunity every four years to throw the bums out. Um, I firmly believe that no supervisor should be permanent. That being said, it's not our job to tell them when it's time to go. Elections matter. If the person isn't doing the job, someone should come forward and do it. If they don't, Shame on the community for not bringing forward a viable candidate. Devil's advocate with you. Sure. Um, these local races, school board, board of supervisors, and city council have almost evolved into full-time jobs. If not a full-time job, it's a part-time job with a tremendous amount of pressure and a lot of workload. The pay is meager at best. I think the supervisors are making 17K, the councilors 18K, the mayor 20K. Um, I think you get, what, an extra 900 bucks if you're the chair of the board? That's, it, that's accurate. And um, so here's my point. How can someone who works a full-time job or is living on the financial margin, an underrepresented demographic, even take a job or in a position like an elected official? And Malik clearly has, and I'm not trying to throw shade on Malik. Malik is just a good example because she's about to win a fifth term. I mean, I, I would say she's the heavy favorite to win here. She has a huge um, advantage in that she's retired, has the value uh, and name recognition of being the incumbent, um, at one time very much had control of her work schedule when she was uh, working. I mean, that's hard to compete with there, Neil. Yeah, I think there are two things you, uh, you hit there. One was term limits. Well, that's a different animal than our... Uh, the um, supervisors and counselors commission are, are they are they paid enough? Uh -huh. No. Yeah. If we're looking at things through a lens of equity, no. You gotta pay them more. And anyone who knows me knows that Dennis Rooker and I don't always agree. But I remember vividly about ten years ago, maybe it was fifteen. Now, he said, "Where are the living wage people now?" When they were talking about their salary increase, because literally they're not making a living wage. And so, what do you end up with? You end up with a board that is very old, very white, and oftentimes not representative of the community. 
And so I am one that would not be in favor of term limits as much as I'd be in favor of, of raising the significantly pack. raising the what what is being paid to the group that is in charge of how many millions of dollars? Uh, 400 plus million a year. Yeah. 257 so million to we, the school board. We can see that you're going to be looking at a half billion dollar industry that's being run by $20,000 a year individuals. Yeah, literally. That's what's happening. That's, that is what's happening. Interestingly, I was thinking about this on the way into work. Um, Mike Pruitt, who's going to be on the board, he's running unopposed. In my 23 years of being in Almaro County, Michael Pruitt is a candidate who will be an elected official that is the most um, different of any board member I've seen. You got someone who's a student at UVA, he's at law school. You got someone who is in his early 30s. I would say this would be the most youthful Board of Supervisors in my 23 years of being in Almar County. Who, who would, you're, you're the drum, the guy from Scottsville, he was in his early 30s? Yeah. He was kicked off the board for some extremely inappropriate conduct. Um, you have a um, someone who has not really worked in the private sector, and Michael Pruitt. I mean, even T.J. Fadeley, he's a young guy, but we're talking someone in his early 40s, a business owner, in control of his own schedule, entrepreneur. We have seen a lot of those well, but, on the board. But flip this over for a second, because there's a great article this week in Governing Magazine. Now, okay. you really have to be a policy wonk to read Governing, Governing Magazine. Magazine. Okay. And Is that a monthly subscription for you? It's a daily newsletter that highlights different articles in their monthly uh, deal. But it talks about the loss of uh, professional public servants. Uh-huh. So uh, somebody that wrote a book that I knew somebody that worked for uh, this gentleman but uh, he wrote a book called Letters to the Next President you know everybody who wants to run for president this is Dick Luger uh, writes a book and his was Letters to the Next President and um, Dick Luger was a great centrist uh, Republican but not a firebrand or anything else never was going to be president but um, he started off at 35 as mayor of a town then became a representative and then did 10 years in the House of Representatives and then became a senator. You don't have that anymore. Look, look at President Barack Obama. He did one term in the Senate. You don't have these long-standing things. So I firmly believe that based upon a lot of the seniority issues that are out there, that having someone who has served, as Ann has, has some merit to some things and some institutional knowledge. I mean, that's the whole, that was a large portion of Creed Dietz's campaign when he was running against Sally Hudson. He says, I have the seniority here. You should vote me because I can keep things moving forward or Sally and the state Senate would not have that seniority so things would not get done at the same clip or frequency that I can do. Right, and and there is a... There's uh, some truth to that. There's truth to it and there's a learning curve in public policy. Yeah. How, I mean... This year in the General Assembly is going to be nutso. They're back in a new building. We're going to spend the first two months figuring out where the bathrooms are. I mean, you've got such turnover. I mean, I think it's 600 years of experience that's being lost after this election between retires and folks that are probably going to lose. That's a lot of experience to be lost. Now, that means you're getting a lot of new blood. That's good. There's new ideas coming forward. But some of those new ideas are probably bad ideas. There always are. And you need to have some of those gray beards to say, hey, wait a minute, when we tried that before, this is what it was. But you've got to use the Pocahontas rule. 
when you tried it before isn't now. You can't step in the same river twice. This from Jason um, Howard on Rio Road. Neil, with Brook Hill and North Point being built north of town, what is the projected impact on county schools? Previous shows on this network have highlighted staffing issues, both of instructors and bus drivers. It's a good question. It's a great question, and I'm happy, or, well, I'm happy to say, I don't cover the school board or um, schools, um, but capacity issues are an issue every locality that I do cover, and the need for bus drivers is true everywhere. Um, But that being said, the level of competition for bus drivers is also very high when you have five localities and CAT and the university competing for everybody who's carrying a CDL. Um, This is a very good question that's come in from uh, a follow-up from Spencer. Can Neil offer a Greene County update for us? Sure. Greene County is in a state of transition. Um, As you know, I'm a resident of Greene County, and I have been since 1999. Um, The the board, the current board, two or three weeks ago, um, had an opportunity in front of it to endorse a potential right-in, right-out connection on the Route 33 bypass of Standardsville. this would facilitate a third entrance for a development um, that's coming forward. That development can come forward by right today without that third entrance, but that third entrance would allow um, certain things to happen and it would create a different neighborhood design than if you only had the two entrances. Effectively, it would, by having two entrances, you push all the traffic from those 500 units. And if it's by right, it might be like 450 because of the way things will have to be laid out. But um, it's 450 all single-family residential by right, um, or 500 with a mix of townhouses, et cetera. The board somehow decided that saying yes to asking the the Commonwealth Transportation Board to consider allowing this. Now, this wasn't saying yes to build it. This wasn't saying yes that the state should build it. It was saying yes to the Commonwealth Transportation Board allowing limited access to this bypass. And somehow that became a question about the development and perhaps they could stop the development if they stopped this. So they didn't endorse it. They were concerned that the special use permit for the development was coming forward at the same time as this, which was going to go to the CTB. Um, What that does is it puts 500 homes right on Main Street in Standardsville. Now I go to church right on Main Street in Standardsville, Grace Episcopal Church, and I tell you, Standardsville is a great town. Um, they have the, one of the best Fourth of July parades. But I also will tell you that that town will see a huge influx of traffic that it really isn't ready for. And this would have provided an opportunity, not guaranteed, but an opportunity to have a developer build a right-in, right-out that would not negatively impact traffic. Now, the opponent said, well, the folks would have to go up to Selt Road, which is the intersection for the high school, or the school's complex, and make a U-turn. And they're accurate with that. And they don't like U-turns. Okay. That, that's a discussion to have. But if it doesn't happen, it's all going to go into the town. Those are your choices. So I think Greene County right now is at an influx where they are really not eagerly uh, approving things. That being said, there's a lot in the pipeline in Greene County uh, I want to say it's 1,800 units uh, near Rutgersville. Um, 
that are going to be coming out of the ground, they're actually clearing the land now, just south of the sheets, for a, a, a really innovative development. And you can read more about it at freeenterpriseforum.wordpress.com. Let's plug uh, your operation. How do we support? How do we uh, raise funds? How do we donate? How do we follow? Uh, if you go to freeenterpriseforum.wordpress.com, go up in the upper right-hand corner, and you'll see a subscribe button. Click there. You can sign up to receive an email every time we post a new blog. You'll get an email. You see in the headline the title. You're interested. Read it. If you're not, delete it. I'll never know. Um, but the, uh, in addition, if you go to the top bar, there's a donate button. You can click on that. There is a way to donate sending me a check. Um, and there's a way to donate, if you click again, to donate online. And I encourage you to support us. We only exist because of private donations. We run a lean machine. I am the only full-time employee. But I go to a lot of meetings, and I try and get out to these events and other things to let people know what goes on at these meetings because it's important, and it's really the future of the community. And the only way you get to shape the future of the community if you know what's going on with the plans for the future of the community. He's the man. Neil Williamson, guys, president of Free Enterprise Forum. I'm on the website right now. Support it, follow it, share it, let folks know about what he is doing. Neil, um, truly a joy, man. Thank Always you. a pleasure to be with you. It's our pleasure. Um, Judah Woodcower, thank you to you. This is Real Talk with Keith Smith. Keith is back in the saddle, and he's watching us right now. He is back in the saddle on Monday. Keith, we're looking forward to seeing you. I Love Seville show is up in one hour and seven minutes, guys. Thank you for joining us, and take care. Thank you.